So I want to start off with telling you a little bit about a church in Antioch. Who's heard of that church? The church in Antioch. So in the book of Acts, we see this church. And um, it was called really the cradle of Christianity, the church in Antioch. And um, there was a lot of Christians and there was also Hellenistic Jews in that area. That means Greek-speaking Jews in that area, in the church of Antioch. So the Christians, um, it was the first time, just if you, if you didn't know that, in this church that people were called Christians in this church. And then it was one of the four cities of the Syrian Tetropolis, and its residents were known as Antiochians. The city was once a great metropolis of half a million people. Okay, so it's a massive, massive place. The Christian population was estimated by Chrysostom at about 100,000 people in that area. And they said that there were about 10 assemblies. There were 10 churches eventually that it grew to. Who can tell me who planted that church? Timothy. I've got a Timothy. I've got one Timothy. Anybody? Two Timothy? Three Timothy. Anybody? <laughs> hey, one Peter? Two Peter. No. Who planted that church? Barnabas? That's a good guess. Come on. Paul. Paul? We got Paul. Who started? Peter started. Okay. Okay. Anybody? Francois? <laughs> Can we turn to Acts chapter? Who else? Who's got another one? Before I go. Ooh, Acts chapter 11, verse 20. Don't read the scriptures. <laughs> Acts chapter, 20, uh, chapter 11, verse 20 says this. But there were some of them. Those guys, there's some of them, but there were some of them. Men of Cyprus and Serene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Not once do we ever see who preached the gospel there. It became one of the biggest churches. In actual fact, I want to say this, that this is most probably one of the best churches that was at that stage. Because for the first time, the Jews actually preached to the Gentiles. This broke open. See, so, so the day of Pentecost was great. It was fantastic. But it was preached to the Jews. And only to the Jews up till chapter 11 of Acts. All of a sudden, we see people that broke up. And some of them, nowhere do we ever see who those some of them were. They start mentioning names after that. And then the apostles came in and they realized we need to place leaders here. We need to grow this thing. But nobody knows up till today who planted that church. Not a single person knows. Are you a some of them? I want to ask you on the outset of this preach. Because tonight I want to look at what Paul meant when he spoke to young Timothy. When he said, do the work of an evangelist. 
So we all think that we need to stand on the street corner. I mean, I remember as a young child, like catching a train in Cape Town, there was always a preacher on that train. Always some guy preaching the gospel. When you go to to Cape Town, you would always have a guy there standing on his little box and he would preach the gospel. And I always thought that was it. That's the only way. Then, then I come to church and I realize, but you can stand behind the pulpit and maybe the guy behind the pulpit is the guy that is preaching the gospel. But like it's been said tonight, tomorrow when you go to work, I'm not at your work. I'm not at your school unless you invite me. And that's an invitation just by the way. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not with you tomorrow. So you can be one of the some of them that's actually preaching the gospel tomorrow and should be one of them. Okay. So all these things happened because of men that nobody even knows. So let's quickly turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 5. That's a scripture that I just quoted to you guys. As for you, always be sober-minded and dear suffering do, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists. I don't know, I just saw that. <laughs> Fulfill your ministry. God's called each one of us to this ministry of an evangelist. Each one of us. Paul is not saying to them, do the work of the evangelist, of an evangelist. Big difference. Big difference, because we always think, well, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 tells us that, God, that Jesus, when he ascended on high, he, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. And, I, well, I'm not an evangelist. Well, yet clearly, Paul is telling young Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. In actual fact, he calls him a son in the Lord. He calls him a pastor. In actual fact, at one point, he's actually very apostolic. But he calls him and do the work of an evangelist. It's not a suggestion, first and foremost. It means if the word do means to accomplish something, it's a command to be carried out and not to be delayed. So this is not a suggestion. People, the, the Bible is not written. It's not, you know, the... The, the Great Commission, I, I say to sometimes to people, we think it's a great suggestion. <laughs> like if you feel like it, go out into the world. No, he says go. It's not the great suggestion, it's the Great Commission. And that's a fact, it's a command. And this is a command as well to do the work of an evangelist. What is that word work? Ergon. It means a deed or an action. It speaks of toil or effort in which one exerts strength or faculties to do or perform something. Stefan, jy is raag. Christenskap is harde werk. Dis harde werk. If anybody told you that Christianity is just going to be easy, man, every day is Friday. It's not every day Friday. It's not. It's hard work. We need to tell people, and it's difficult. Tomorrow morning, when that person is sitting next to you in the bus or wherever you're going in the car, you know, you're catching a lift to somebody, and every week after week, you're just burning in your heart to share the love of Jesus with that person. Well, tomorrow morning is your opportunity. 
to do the work of evangelist. Don't wait. Evangelist. I want to tell you what this word really means. It's a bringer of good tidings. In actual fact, the, the, another translation says, do the work of telling the good news. Do the work of telling the good news. Be a gospelizer, a good message teller. The world is full of bad news. I mean, we just saw the debt of South Africa. Right there. I mean, that's not good news. Good news is not that ESCOM is going to put a 20% hike onto our, you know, electricity. We have good news. We have, they're not, they're not doing it yet. They're going to get a kickback on that, don't worry. But I'm telling you, it is crazy how we are sometimes, you know, be pulled towards bad news first. I think, I think it might have been Spurgeon that said that a lie has been around the planet twice before truth has even put on their running shoes. And we are so pulled towards that stuff. We're so pulled to the bad news. Think about one good thing that happened this week. Just think about it quickly. What you read on Facebook, in the newspaper, or any place. Google, any place. Think about good stuff. There's a guy that won a court case. That was good news this week. I don't even know who he is. I was like, good for him. But you walk around with good news in you every single day. And Jesus calls you. Some of them. It doesn't even matter who it is. In the big scheme of things, this is one of the biggest churches. 100,000 people in a church. Planted by guys that nobody knows. That for me is what evangelism is about. A good news teller. So what is the good news? Let me give it to you quickly. Follow me. John 3.16. God loves all people. God loves. This is the, if you're making notes, if you want to jot down these 10 or 12 things, this is the good news. Let me give it to you quickly. The good news is God loves all people. Who's making notes? Make notes if you want to. But all, I ha all have sinned. Every single one of us has displeased God. Every single one of us, we've missed the mark with God. And that is in Romans chapter 3 verse 23. All have sinned, the Bible says, and fallen short of the glory of God. I try to explain it to you one day, trying to jump. And people said I did this miserable little jump. I'm 47 years old. I don't jump anymore. I'm built for comfort now, not speed. Okay. The next thing, Isaiah 59 verse 2 says this, sin separated men from God. All have sinned. And because of that sin, we are now separated from God. But I grew up in a Christian home. I'm not that bad. I never killed anybody. I kind of kept the Ten Commandments. Jesus says this, have you lusted after a woman? He says, then you've committed adultery. Have you hated someone in your heart? You've killed him. I mean, I've hated, so I've killed a few people. I'm a murderer. 
and I need forgiveness of my sin. There's not a single person on this planet that can tell you, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I've not crossed the line. Yes, you have. The Bible says we all have sinned. If sin isn't taken away, it means lives will be fruitless. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, you can go read that. If sin isn't taken away, it means lives will be fruitless. In actual fact, you're damned. The next thing says this, the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, verse 23. There's a wage that sin will demand from you. You have to pay, and it's called death. That verse continues, it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. But the free gift. So do you want to pay for something or do you want a free gift? Who wants a free gift? Every single person on planet earth wants a free gift. I can tell you that right now. Every single person wants it. If you offer them a free gift, they'll take it. God sent Jesus and he died on the cross and paid the penalty of sin in full. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. Jesus is the full payment of my wage. He paid it. He paid for all my sin, past, present, and future. It's paid. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Sometimes I think we as older Christians need to be reminded of what good news we've heard when we said yes. The next thing is God raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus is able to save. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 to 22. 2 Corinthians 4 14. Jesus died, but Jesus didn't stay in the grave. And just because Jesus rose from that grave and he is now seated at the, he is the one that's praying for you. He paid the price in full. He didn't do it halfway. He didn't hang on the cross and said at one point, I can't do this anymore. Although he could command angels to take him off that cross, he didn't do that. He stayed there until he blew out his last breath and he said, it is finished. It is paid in full. This is the good news. Only, only the blood of Jesus shed when he died can cleanse and remove sin, allowing eternal life with God. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. The Bible's very clear from day one. From day one, we start seeing this plan of redemption. We see Adam and Eve hiding away. And that's exactly what we're doing. We try and hide every time we sin. I know my daughters, if they've done something wrong, Annabelle Rose will run and hide somewhere. And I go, Annabelle, where are you? Adam and Eve, where are you? It's not like God didn't know where Adam and Eve was. He's an all-knowing God. It's like, oh, it's misplaced those humans again. <laughs> They're somewhere in the garden. And that is how Easter egg hunt started. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. No. Stone him. <laughs> so for the first time, man realizes I'm naked. Who told you you're naked? He said, I could have been naked if it wasn't for Adam. Now I have to wear clothes. 
Now I'm going to know that I'm, you know, I, yeah, let me not go there. <laughs> and they're hiding. And they're trying. <laughs> what did they do with those fig leaves, first and foremost? <laughs> Where would you put a fig leaf if you realized you're naked? I would put it over my face. <laughs> Nobody can see me. <laughs> because those things are scratchy. So um, who's touched a fig leaf before? <laughs> Oh, moving on. So God is walking around like he does in the cool of the day. This was his moment with Adam and Eve, and they're trying to hide. What have you done? No, we, no, no, no. And you see the man squirming. Oh, no, this is this woman you gave me. Like, this woman. And she's like, no, no, no. It's the snake. And we all know the snake had no leg to stand on. Okay. So, <laughs> I think I heard that joke like 29 years ago. And it's still being told in churches. So here's this man and woman realizing that they have sinned. And what does Jesus do? What does God do? I would love to believe that Jesus was in there, in that garden as well. He kills an animal. For the first time, something has to die. And he brings skins to them. And he puts it around them. And he covers their sin. He covers their nakedness. And for the first time, we see the plan of redemption in the book of Genesis. Blood had to be shed. We see it all through the Old Testament, through Leviticus. We see it through the laws. Once a year, the priest had to go and bring blood. And that was the only thing. And he said that the blood of a sinless lamb needs to be shed. And that's why Jesus is that sinless lamb. This is what we're celebrating. This is why we're celebrating his birth. Because he became that lamb for us on planet earth. He was born. That lamb that was actually in the mind of God slain before the foundation of the earth. That is the lamb, spear and spotless, without sin, without blemish. Jesus the sinless sacrifice for you and for me. To be forgiven, a sinner must repent. Hebrews chapter, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 to 10 says, What does repentance mean? It means I walked in this way, I turn around 180 degrees, I walk away from it. And I never go back to that. He says, uh, Solomon says, it's a dog that returns to his vomit. Why do you go back to the bin if you throw something away and go scratch in that bin again? Leave the past behind you. Leave your sin at the foot of the cross with Jesus. But we go back to it. Why? I can tell you what sin you do. How do you know that, Pastor. It's the thing that you like the most. That is what sin is. That thing that keeps you away from Jesus. Whatever it is right now, repentance is the only way. When we turn our back on that thing and turn away from it. But we need to accept him, not just as our savior. You see, a lot of people come to Jesus and say, save me from my sin. And he will. And he does. But there's a second part to that. We need to make him your Lord. And if I make somebody my Lord, he is my ruler. The Bible uses a term, slave. And I know that we have changed it in the 
ESV to bondservant. But the word in Greek is doulos. And the Greek word doulos means slave. The Bible says we are slaves now. We were once slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to God, slaves to righteousness. And he is not a hard slave driver. You come willingly. And I say, I want to die. There was once a year where they actually had to, it was called the Jubilee year. So if you were a slave, basically, I would come, Haru, you can be my slave. I like it. Bow, slave. Ah, I like it. Bust my feet. No. So once a year, I'll come to Haru. Maybe he's got a family already, and he's been in my family, and he's been working for my family for a long time. And I say to him, you are now free. Ten years. You are now free. You can go. And at this point, Haru can make a decision. He can decide whether he wants to stay or if he wants to go. If he stays, I'm going to ask him to put his right ear against the corner of a door. That's what I'm going to ask him to do. He puts his ear literally against the wood of that door. And I take a massive nail and I hit that nail straight through his ear into the door and let him stand there for three days. Three days. That's what I would do. Then, after three days, I will remove the nail and I would put a brass ring that always signifies suffering. Brass is suffering. And I put a brass ring in his ear. And now you are a free slave. And I'll give you my sandals as well. That's what happens. It's a bit big. It's, it's cool. Now. Now he is truly free. By his choice, he made a decision to stay a slave. He is no longer a slave to death. He's no longer a slave to sin, but he's now a slave to righteousness because I've bought him and I paid for him. I said to him, you are free because the Bible says this, whom the son sets free is completely free, unquestionably free. He's free, but by his choice, he says, I want to be a bond servant now. I want to come and serve you. I want to be your slave. Is that not the beautiful picture of redemption? Of Jesus, what he has done. You can leave my sandals here now. Thank you. <laughs> that is the good news. And once you've led someone to the Lord, once you've told them this story, this beautiful story of redemption, once you told them this, there is something that needs to happen. We can't just tell people this story and just leave them. Now they're all excited. What now? Like I can't tell my kids I'm going to go on holiday and never go on holiday. I'm going to take them on holiday. Once you've led someone to the Lord, which I must say is most probably the most amazing thing that will ever happen in your entire life. Then you have a further responsibility towards them. Remember, we are not called to make converts who may change their minds. We are called to make disciples who have changed their lives. We're not called to just make converts. We are called to make disciples that have changed their lives. Now, so we reach them. 
but we also teach them. We can't just reach them and not teach them. We can't just make babies and leave them. Okay. Aren't they, hon? So, see <laughs> Yo, mic drop. So, what do we do? Are you guys with me? What do we do? First thing, we reach them and teach them. Yes, we communicate to them joy and enthusiasm. We communicate to them joy and enthusiasm. We tell them. We tell them, go out. And we help them do something. Today, this morning, we were there. And one of the boys, one of the, some of the guys were playing. We were throwing a rugby ball. And this little kid, he was like trying to catch this ball. And he missed it. And I came behind him. And I said to him, I'll help you catch this ball. I can't catch a ball either. But I was like hoping this kid, redeem yourself, buddy. Catch this ball. But he caught the ball. He was like, yes. You see, with enthusiasm, I need to train this young man to catch the ball for himself or with joy. We need to tell them to show love. We need to continue to show love, but we need to tell them, show love. Don't show partiality. Don't just talk to your buddies. Talk to everybody. Be readily available. We need to teach them that, and I want to teach you, be readily available all the time. When we go on outreaches, say, yes, that's me. I'd rather say five of you or ten of you must stay, unfortunately. I'll stay. You guys go. Or something. But say, yes, be readily available. Share life as a true friend in Christ. That's what they need. The world has let them down. The, the friendships they had. I mean, you lost some of your friends, hey? A lot. Me too. I lost a lot. My buddy said to my mom, Tani, this net a phase. 29 year phase. I'm still friends with that guy. I love him dearly. Pray for them. Pray for them. There's something that you can do in the secret place in your room is you can pray. For your friend you can pray for your family member you can pray for your mom you can pray for your dad you can pray for your uncle and aunt you can invite them to church but you can pray them, pray for them the next thing is challenge them into an even greater faith to step out this evening i am like a proud dad like chantelle well done like stepping out just sharing your testimony. Well done, Stefan. Well done. Everybody that shared their testimony tonight. Bro, you should be at Preacher's Club. You're a preacher. I just want to say that to you. Seriously. You are a natural. I mean, it didn't look like you were sweating at all. <laughs> Paulus is sweating when he preaches. So, no, no. I'm just kidding. Seriously. I'm serious. Encourage them. The potential you see in them. Encourage them. They don't know. But we need to encourage them. Express appreciation for improvements. 
When you see a change in that person's life, if you've seen them like stop swearing or dropping, you know, telling bad jokes or something or whatever it is, encourage them and say, well done, bro. I haven't heard like the F-bomb in a while. Well done. It's great. Encourage them. And then set a good example. Continue to set a good example. This is what it means to disciple somebody. We all think we need to take them through like all the stuff and tell them about this. And that. that is being discipled. That's discipleship. Just walk with them. God has taught you some stuff, valuable things that you need to teach them as well. Set a good example. Paul tells young Timothy all the time. He says, set an example to all the believers in your speech, in your conduct, in your purity. An example. Set an example. I want to end with this. I think two of the things before we end. Two of the things that is vital for anybody that wants to evangelize. To, be, to do the work of evangelists. Two things. You need two things. You need to be bold and you need to be a risk taker. Bible says that the righteous are as bold as a lion and the wicked flees. The wicked runs when no one is chasing him. So, guys running, just putting it out there. Boldness. You probably, I want to say this to you this evening, you probably won't ever feel ready or fully up to the task to be a witness for Jesus. Never. You must probably never feel like you can ever do something meaningful in the. And like, listen, my friends, this is not my first rodeo. You should have seen my first rodeo. <laughs> I preached, I remember, I was in a youth group in 1993, and I preached on the Parakletos because I heard. This word. There wasn't internet 1993. I couldn't Google Parakletos. Internet only came in 1994. May I remind you, for those of you that predate that and think that we were all born with internet and Wi Fi, Ruben. <laughs> it's a privilege. <laughs> Let me put it I had to go and find books. <laughs> I have this thick book. And I had to look up that word, what it means. It's very, I'll show it to you one day. It's a crazy little book that, but that thing. Romans 10 verse 14. We're almost done. Guys with me. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Be a someone. Be a someone preaching. Put your name in there. Take that, that scripture and put your name in there. Adrian. How will they hear without Adrian preaching? How will they hear without Reuben preaching? Reuben, you shouldn't sit here in my line of sight. <laughs> it's dangerous. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. This is Jesus telling his disciples to go wait and you'll receive power. 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witness. That was witness there is the word martus, where we get the word martyr from. To be a witness for Jesus, I can tell you right now, you might need to die to yourself and you might die. That's how dangerous it is. That guy in Yemen, he lives it every single day. There's a probability that he could die today because somebody has found out that he's a Christian. Christians, we have become lazy in South Africa. We've become lazy in telling people about the good news. And we don't even have that much pushback yet. While it's day, let's preach the gospel. While we still have opportunities, do it. Let's not wait. Risk taking. A recent survey asked people who were 95 and older what they would do differently if they could live their lives over. Given another chance, these elderly people made it clear they'd be more courageous about stepping out of their comfort zones. They take risks in order to raise their accomplishment level and make life more interesting. That's what they said. I would step out of my comfort zone a lot more. Man, risk taking. Maybe some of us need to step out. Maybe we need to ask for boldness tonight. But maybe we need to step out tonight in risk taking. Where's Wade? I'm looking for Wade. Wade, put up your hand. Wade. <laughs> that was risk taking for Wade. To stand on a stage and say, I feel like we need to just kneel now. Now we, It's a safe space, this. But tomorrow there will be a boldness upon way to do it outside and say something different. Does this make sense? I want to end off with two stories and then we're going to pray for some people. History records a remarkable account of the destruction of an ancient town. The watchmen on the walls could, would call out whenever they thought they saw a foe approaching an enemy approaching sensing that the people had begun to resent them from giving these false alarms they decided to remain quiet regrettably not long afterward the enemy actually did come the city that could have been saved was assaulted and devastated and nothing was left but smoking ruins later Someone erected a small memorial inscribed with the following epitaph. Here stood a town that was destroyed by silence. We can choose to either speak up and share the good news. Or we can decide to stay silent. The church today. For the most part has become a submarine church and i want to actually fall on with where steve was preaching about a battleship and a cruise ship i don't even want to call the church a cruise ship anymore i want to call her a submarine church nowadays in which one day we just shut the hatch on the outside world and submerge into its own sea 
And only on occasion does it run up the periscope to even see where it is going. Let's be not that church where we shut ourselves out and we say, I don't want anything to do with this world because I'm going to get contaminated. If you work in the garden, Stella, is she here? Stella, if you work in the garden, your, your hands get dirty. Oh, brother, I don't want to. I'm going to get dirty maybe in the, in the working in the kingdom. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are going to work with dirty people. You're going to work with people that need Jesus just like you needed Jesus. Jesus. 